I want to begin today with five words that are so very simple, and yet I think they could change your outlook and your perspective on life. And here are the words, nobody has a perfect life. Say that with me. Nobody has a perfect life. Turn to the person next to you and say, I thought you did. I thought you had a perfect life. You know, in the day of social media, we read these tweets and pictures and things on Facebook, and I think sometimes you can look at all that out there and you think, man, they have a perfect life. He has a perfect life. She has a perfect life. Remember, they're only putting out there what they want you to see. The fact is, nobody has a perfect life. You don't. I don't. You know, I love the life that God has given me. I really do. I wouldn't trade it with anybody I know. And yet, my life is far from perfect. And I was reminded of that about two weeks ago. I started having something I had never had in all my life. I started having a toothache on my upper left side. And I thought, well, you know, i got to tough this out. You can't be a wimp. You have to be a man. You have to be strong. A few days later, I was calling my dentist begging for an appointment. And I went in, and I said to the dentist, I said, you know, I, I probably shouldn't even be here. Maybe I'm imagining this. I said, I know you all have other patients with bigger problems. And I don't mean to be, you know, a weenie on this, but I'm feeling a little pain right up here on the upper left side. And she said, well, let me just take a look at it. So she laid me back in the chair, and she looked in my mouth, and she said, Wow! Now, that's one word you never want to hear your dentist say right there. I said, wow, what? She said, wow, I think I know why you have a toothache. It's obvious. She said, part of your tooth has fallen out. I thought, man, my hair is turning gray. I'm wearing glasses. Now my teeth are falling out. What is happening to my life? And I said, well, is there something we can, we've got to be able to do something. Is there a surgery? You need to admit me to a hospital. We've got to do something about this. She said, no, there's no surgery. She said, there are three options. She said, we could put a crown on that tooth. I don't think you need a crown. She said, we could treat it like a cavity, even though it's not a cavity, and fill it. She said, I wouldn't recommend that. She said, or I could just rub something on there so it won't be so sensitive. I said, on option three, do we have to use a shot? She said, no shot. I said, option three is for me. So she rubbed this stuff on there, and it solved my problem. But I was reminded that nobody has a perfect life. We have problems. We have pain. Sometimes we have unanswered prayers in our life. Now, if you'll open your Bibles today to the Gospel of John, chapter number 11, I want us to look at a family in the Bible. This is a familiar story, but I want us to think today about a family who had a serious problem. Now, there are three siblings in this family, two girls and a boy. There's Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And the problem was Lazarus had gotten sick. And so Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus. Jesus was many miles away. And basically they said, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. If you'll come to Bethany, you can heal him. And we will certainly appreciate that. That's what was in their heart. Jesus was very good friends with his family. In fact, when he traveled from Galilee up in the northern part of Israel down south to the Jerusalem area, he spent a lot of time in Bethany at their house, having meals, probably spent the night there on several different occasions. They had a very close relationship. And let's just read about that, John chapter 11 and in verse number 1. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. 
And so there's the problem. Lazarus is sick. His sickness is causing him physical pain, but it's also causing his sisters emotional pain, just like it would for any of us. If we have a family member who's sick, we may not feel the physical pain, but emotionally we hurt with them. Now, in verse number four, Jesus said something that I think is very interesting. I have this verse marked in my Bible. It's a great verse to mark when we go through hard times. Look what it says. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus was not saying Lazarus is not going to die. If you're familiar with this story, you know that Lazarus indeed indeed did die. But death was not the end of the story. Jesus brought Lazarus from death back to life. And so Jesus made an interesting statement. He said, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God. Now I want you to think about that situation in your life. Maybe it's a lawsuit that you're going through right now. Maybe it's a medical condition. Maybe it's a work issue. Maybe it's a family matter. Could be a thousand things going on in your life. But I want you to think about that. And for our purposes today, we're going to just call that the situation. Everybody has a situation. Why? Because nobody has a perfect life. And so you have this situation in your life that you wish were different, that you wish would change, that you wish God would do something about. It's, it's a problem. It's causing you pain. You've prayed about it, and God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. Now, what Jesus said so long ago to these people in this family about this situation Jesus is still saying to us today with our situations in life, and that is this, the situation that you are currently facing is for the glory of God. Now, I want you to let that sink in. That situation in your life that's causing you pain, it's a real problem. You wish it would go away. You wish God would do something about it. What I'm saying is, what Jesus is saying is, that situation in your life is for the glory of God. It is not unto death. It is not going to be the end of you. It is not going to ruin your life. No, it is for the glory of God. It is as though God has looked down from heaven at your life and at your particular case, and God has said, I'm going to allow this situation into his life, her life, or their life, so that they can bring me glory through how they respond and through how they act during this time. Now, the question is, okay, it's it's for the glory of God, but why, why would God have allowed something so painful if it's to bring Him glory? It seemed like God could have given me a special blessing, and that would bring Him glory, but why has God allowed this pain? Well, look in verse 5, because this just continues to become more and more practical for us. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved this family. Verse 6, so, comma, when he heard that he was sick, comma, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Isn't that a strange verse? You would think that the Bible would say, I mean, in verse 5 it says Jesus loved this family. You would think verse 6 would say, so, comma, when he heard that he was sick, comma. He left immediately where he was and went to Bethany and he healed Lazarus. It looks like if he would have loved them in verse 5 that he would have solved their problem in verse 6. 
but just the opposite happened. Verse 6, verse 5, he loves all these people. Verse 6, he loves them so much, he decided to stay where he was and not go to Bethany. He loves this family so much that he decided for Lazarus to get sicker and sicker and sicker and then to eventually die. Now, that just doesn't make sense. You would think that it would say he went and he healed Lazarus. No, he stayed where he was, and then Lazarus died. Now, I want you to write this thing down. Now, the first thing I've said was the situation, whatever that situation is right now that you are facing, it is for the glory of God if you will respond properly. Now, another little thought along those those same lines. The situation you are facing was motivated by God's love. So many times in life we have a problem and we think, well, God must be angry with me. I must have done something wrong. There must be some sin in my life. And now God is disciplining me. Now God is chastising me. He is chastening me. And sometimes that indeed is the case. But sometimes it's just the opposite. God is not allowing these situations because he's mad at us or he's punishing us or he's disciplining us. No, he's allowing these situations into our life because he loves us. And so you have a problem and it's causing pain and you've prayed about it. God hasn't done anything. It's like God is standing back, arms folded, looking down and you think, God, I just don't get the delay. I don't get why you would let this linger on and on like this. And God would say to us in effect, I can understand from your perspective how this makes zero sense to you. But from my perspective, it is as clear as a bell. And I have looked at your situation I have considered your case, and I have decided right now to do absolutely nothing about it. I love you so much that I'm not going to do anything about it, because if I jumped in right now and did what you wanted me to do, solved the problem, met the need, and made the pain go away, then you would miss the blessings that I have in store for you. And so God says, for your sake, I'm stepping back. I'm folding my arms. And I'm going to let this play out a little bit longer. And when it's all over with, it will be for the glory of God. You will be better. The kingdom of heaven will be better. Your witness for me will be better. Everything about your life will be better. Now, if we just stopped right there and went home, that is very encouraging to me. To know that no matter what the situation is you are facing, to know it is for the glory of God. It is not the end of you. And to know that it was allowed into your life because God loves you. And through this problem that is causing pain, God wants to do something fantastic in your life. Let me mention several things that God wants to do in your life at this time and during this situation. Number one thing, God wants to give you greater faith. Have you ever noticed as you read the Bible how important faith is to God? I mean, I know that our faith is important to us, but did you know that your faith is even more important to God than it is to you? The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that God values your faith more than he values gold because it says gold perishes but your faith lasts on and on and so God when he looks down at your heart with x-ray vision he looks in my heart sometimes God says John's faith is a little bit weak right now 
John's faith has some doubts in it. John's faith maybe has some fear or anxiety or some weaknesses, some impurities in that faith. So I'm going to step back. I'm going to let the problem persist. I'm going to let the pain intensify. In the short term, I'm going to let it go from bad to worse. But when it's all said and done, that faith in his heart will be refined. It will be strengthened. It will be purified. It will grow. And when I get finished with the situation, his faith won't have that doubt. His faith won't have those impurities. His faith won't waver. His faith won't be weak. And what I'm saying is true of me is true of you too. And that's why God allows it. God values our faith. Why is faith so important? Did you know it says, there are a lot of reasons, but one of them is this. Did you know without faith, you cannot please God? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Say that with me. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so God would say of me or of you, doesn't matter how much they love me. Doesn't matter how often they read their Bible. Doesn't matter how fervently they pray. In my case, doesn't matter how many sermons he preaches. Doesn't matter. What matters is his faith. What matters is your faith. Without faith, can't please God. And so God says, I've got to perfect this faith. Also, did you know the stronger your faith, the greater your peace will be? I've noticed this in life. Faith and peace are like parallel railroad tracks. They always run together. Anytime in life you're weak in faith, I'll guarantee you it's because in that area you're a little bit uh, weak in faith. If you're weak in peace, you're weak in faith. So if you'll strengthen your faith, your peace will grow too. And so will your joy. And so faith is very important. Let's see how it played out here in this story. John chapter 11, look in verse number 11. Now, by this time, they're on their way to Bethany, Jesus with his disciples, and they're talking about Lazarus's sickness. And uh, by this time, Lazarus has actually died, but the disi- Jesus knows it because he knows everything, but the disciples don't know it yet. So we pick up in the middle of their conversation. Je- verse 11, these things Jesus said, and after that, he said to his disciples, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps... He will get better. He will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Verse 15. This is another strange thing out of the mouth of Jesus. Verse 14, he said, Lazarus is dead. Verse 15. And I am glad. You would think Jesus would say, Lazarus is dead and I am sad. But that's not what he said. He said, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad. Circle that word glad in your Bible. He said, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, Lazarus died, and it's a good thing. Because had he not died, had I answered the prayer of Mary and Martha the way they prayed it, had I gone immediately to Bethany and healed sick Lazarus, You, my disciples, would have seen me do what you've seen me do many times before. You would have seen me heal another sick person. And by seeing me heal another sick person, it would not have increased your faith one bit because you already know that I can heal sick people. So what I had to do was delay my approach to Bethany. I had to wait for Lazarus to die. And now that he has died, when we get there, I'm going to bring him from death to life. And the end result is you are going to have greater faith. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, you've seen me heal the sick 
but you've not seen me raise the dead. And so when you see me raise Lazarus from death to life, it will strengthen your faith. And so that situation in your life, let's come back to you. We're going to go back and forth today between us and Lazarus, okay? Now let's put it back on you. That situation that you're facing is the same thing. It is allowed, has been allowed into your life by God so that you can have greater faith. Somebody has said, one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard, faith is like film. It is best developed in the dark. And sometimes God allows our lives to go dark. And God becomes silent. And that faith is developed in the dark. And that silence, many times in prayer and in situations, God is silent. Now, sometimes we pray, we get an immediate answer. Sometimes we pray about a problem, and we don't hear anything from God. Not only does He not do anything, He doesn't tell us what He's going to do. Heaven becomes completely silent. Have you ever thought about this? When God is silent, that is His way of saying to you, you are being tested. This is a test. And so even in his silence, he's speaking and he's saying, this is a test and you have to trust me in this test. That's how it was in school when we were growing up. You students about to start back to school. You go to school, you're in a history class for a week and a half. The teacher gives a lecture on history and the next day you have a test. During the test, does the teacher lecture? No. The teacher sits behind his or her desk and doesn't say a word and you sit out there and take a test. The teacher is always silent when a test is being taken. What's true for a teacher in a history class is true for God in your life and mine. When heaven goes silent, God is saying it's a test. And what I'm doing is trying to strengthen your faith. So the first thing God wants to give us is greater faith. The second thing God wants to give us in our life when we're having these problems, He wants to give us greater blessings than we would otherwise have had. Greater blessings. You see, God always has something better in mind. That's why I titled the sermon this morning, It's Not Over Yet. You're in the midst of the problem. You're waiting on Jesus to do something, and you think it's over. And certainly when Lazarus died, it would be easy to think, well, now it's really over. With God, it is never over. And he always has greater blessings in mind. Now, as I've thought about the different categories of his blessings, I think they could be put in one of two categories, actually. First of all, God has greater blessings in store for you spiritually. Spiritually. That is, God, through your situation, wants to do something in your heart and in your life, and with your character, and in your own personal and private relationship with God, that is the greatest thing that has ever happened. So he has something greater for you spiritually. Now, look in verse number 21 as we study through this chapter. It says, now Martha said to Jesus, now by this time Jesus has arrived in Bethany, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That was a true statement, and that's the only reason Jesus wasn't there. Verse 22, but even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. He was giving her hope for the future. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. In other words, Martha was saying, I know he will, Lord. I know this coming a day, way thousands of years out there, where My brother will come back to life again. The resurrection will take place. The dead will be raised. We'll all be back together, those of us who have trusted in you. But look in verse 25. Jesus said to her, 
I am the resurrection and the life. This is one of the I am statements in the Gospel of John. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And, of course, she said, yes, Lord, I believe, and so on. And so Jesus was saying to her, Martha, I know that in your heart and in your mind, when you think about Lazarus and you think about the fact that he's going to rise again, you are thinking about a future event. You're thinking one day Lazarus will rise again at the future event called the resurrection. But Martha, you need to understand something. I am the resurrection. That's why Jesus said in verse 26, he who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus was saying, Martha, even as it stands right now, Lazarus isn't dead. His body has died, but Lazarus didn't die. Because Lazarus is a soul. He had, he had a body, but he has, his body has died, but his soul has gone for now to paradise to be with God in heaven. It's not like Lazarus is having soul sleep. Souls don't die. Lazarus is alive. I'm the resurrection and life. And what Jesus was trying to do for Martha is what Jesus wants to do for all of us. So many times in life when we're having a problem, or just it may not even be a problem, but it's a situation, we get to thinking, okay, one day... If this happens, or when this happens, then I will be happy, and then I can move on with my life. For example, you may be, your situation may be having to do with your job, which affects your finances. And you're thinking, we barely have money to pay the bills. And my job, cutbacks are going on, and my, pays, my hours have been reduced, my pay's been decreased, and now we're having financial pressure. And so in your mind, you're thinking... If I can get more hours, if I can get a better job, if I can get more money, then I will have security. Then I'll have security. What Jesus would say to you today is this. There is a sense in which that is true. If you had more money, you would have more financial security. But Jesus is also saying you need to understand that the security that you're really looking for is found in a relationship with me. Jesus would say, you're my, you belong to me. God is your father. God has promised to meet all of your needs. You're not going to go without your needs being met. And so don't look out there to the future and say, whenever this happens or if ever that happens, then I'll have security. No, Jesus would say, you can have security now. I think sometimes about a person who's single and wants to be married. That's normal and natural. God pretty much made us that way. And so it would be easy for a single person to look off into the future and say, well, God, if I ever get married or when I ever get married, then I will have companionship and then, God, I won't be alone. And God hears that and God says to the single person in that situation, there is a sense in which that is true. If, or if that's my will for you, and when you get married out there, yes, you're going to have a human being to be your companion and to be with you, and, and in that way, you won't have to be physically alone. But there's a, an even higher thing that God would say to that single and say, you know what, even if that is my will for your life way out there somewhere, or maybe not way out, just out there somewhere in the future, you don't have to wait until that happens to experience companionship. Because I'm with you right now. 
And so you're not alone. Now, you may not have a physical person, but still you're not alone. And so what I'm saying is sometimes in life, it's all of us. We look out into the future and we say, if that happens, when that happens, then the problem will be solved. And God says, I get what you're saying and there's a sense in which there's truth in that. But just remember this, I'm with you now. I am your security. I am your companionship. And so don't live your life just holding on or holding out for some future experience or some future event. Focus on my presence right here and right now. If that makes sense, say say amen. I'll tell you a story about a pastor you probably never heard of. His name is Mac Brunson. Mac Brunson. For years, he pastored the First Baptist Church in Dallas for about five years. And then he left there. And he became the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. He was there for about 12 years. Two of the largest churches in the nation. And he had great ministries at both churches. But just a few months ago, he resigned his church in Florida. And he became the pastor of a church in Birmingham, Alabama that I never had even heard of. Valleydale Baptist Church. It's a good church. It's just a lot smaller than the other churches he had served. And so he has become the pastor. He became the pastor. First Sunday there was July the 22nd. So a few days ago, I went online and I said, I want to pull up the sermon that he preached on his first Sunday at his new church and just see what he preached about. It was a wonderful sermon. And in that sermon, he told, Mac Brunson's about 62 now. He told a story how about 30 years ago, His wife had a very serious health issue, had some cancer, and she had to have a double mastectomy. And that was a very serious surgery. At that time, they were living in a kind of a remote place. They were away from his family. They were away from her family. And so, but nonetheless, she had to have this surgery in order to live. And so, they had the surgery scheduled. And on the day of the operation, he drove his wife to the hospital, got there. They checked in. Time came for her to go back to the operating room. They rolled her back, and it was going to be about a four- or five-hour surgery. And so Pastor Brunson went into the waiting room to wait and to, uh, and to see how this would go. Well, when he got in the waiting room, he said he became aware of how very alone he was. His wife now is out. She's in surgery. His family nor her family could be there. He said as he was praying, he said, God, I just don't understand this. My wife and I have surrendered our lives to serve you. God, it's bad enough that she has cancer. It's bad enough at barely 30 years of age she's having to have this extensive of a surgery. But God, what I really don't understand, why would you allow me to be in this waiting room alone? God, I know that my family couldn't be here, her family couldn't be here. But God, we're pastoring a church. It seems like a deacon. It seems like a Sunday school teacher. It seems like a friend. It seems like somebody in that church would have come up here today to sit with me so I wouldn't have to be alone during the surgery. Well, the truth is, the church members probably felt like they would prefer privacy. We'll give them their space. We don't want. But anyway, he's just pouring out his heart to God and saying, God, I just don't understand why you would let me be so alone. And he goes on and on like this for a while. And he said, at a point in his prayer, God spoke to him. And God said to him, Mac, if you're so alone, who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? I mean, if you're so alone, who, what is this conversation that it, we're now having? And he said that became one of the most pivotal experiences of his life because he learned a lesson that he already knew, and that was this. When we're alone physically, if we're saved, we're really not alone. 
God, and see, that's what Jesus was saying to Martha. Don't just hold out for a future event. Focus on me now. I'm the resurrection. And even as it is right now, Lazarus isn't dead. Just his body has died. Lazarus is now, for the, for the moment, he's resting with God in heaven. He's having a great time up there. So God has greater blessings spiritually to teach us that. God wants to do things we've never experienced. God wants us to know him in ways we've never known him before. And then tangibly, look in verse 43, how this story kind of wraps up here. It says, now when Jesus had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Somebody said, had Jesus not called Lazarus by name, the whole cemetery would have come up out of those graves. So he had to specify who he wanted out. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound, hand and foot, with grave cloths. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. So tangibly, see, it was a greater blessing. Somebody's sick, God heals them. Wow, that's a great blessing. Somebody's dead and God brings them back to life again. Double wow. That's a greater blessing. And that's why Jesus delayed. That's why when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, because he loved them so much, he decided to stay where he was so they could have greater faith, so they could experience greater blessings spiritually and tangibly, visibly, practically in their lives. And number three, the third reason that Jesus delayed and the third reason that Jesus chose not to solve their problem immediately is so they could have a greater testimony for him. A greater testimony. At the end of this story, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus all had a greater testimony. You know, so many times in life we go through something, we're waiting, and it just seems so pointless. just seems so horrible. I have a friend who went to the emergency room. He was having serious chest pain. Thought he was having a heart attack. He said to the lady at the front desk, said, ma'am, I think I'm having a heart attack. I need to see a doctor. They need to do something. I don't know what's going on. And so they took him immediately, put him in a room, hooked him up to the machines, the blood pressure machines, and so on. And the nurse said, the doctor will be in shortly to see you. And so the man's laying there. He thought, well, they'll give me a heart cath or maybe a CAT scan. Maybe they'll check my blood. They got to do something. I think I'm dying. He laid there, and he laid there, and he laid there. And he kept laying there. And the doctor didn't come in. And he kept waiting. And he kept waiting. And he got so frustrated, he picked up his cell phone and he called 911 from the emergency room. And the lady said, sir, where, what's the problem? He said, I'm having chest pains. I think I'm having a heart attack. And she said, where are you? He said, I'm in bed seven at the emergency room. And I'm, the doctor has forgotten to come see me. Could you call him and tell him to come down here and see me? Now, that's a, one of the most, that's a true, if you give me money after the service, I'll tell you what hospital that was that forgot that man in bed seven. But listen, sometimes in life, we wait and wait, and we feel like, man, I'm just forgotten. Family forgot me. Friends forgot me. Nobody cares. This is horrible. Sometimes when we're waiting, nothing's changing. We feel like God has forgotten us. Friend, I want to say to you today, Jesus may be standing back with his arms crossed waiting, but he has not forgotten you. He is waiting to give you a greater faith, greater blessings, and ultimately a greater testimony. Now look in verse tw chapter 12, verse 9. I'll show you one more verse, then we'll stop. This is the most interesting thing to me. It says, now by this time Lazarus is alive. They're having a meal in Bethany at their house, and, and, and they're all having a good time. And Lazarus is sitting around the table. Now a great many of the Jews knew that Jesus was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, now watch this, but that they might also see Lazarus, 
whom Jesus had raised from the dead. In other words, the Jews heard about this miracle. They knew Lazarus had died. They saw him be buried. And now they know for sure that he's been brought back to life. And yet they just want to see this man. They've never seen a man who'd been brought from death to life. And so <laughs> these Jewish religious leaders come to this town of Bethany. And it's kind of like they're looking through the windows at everybody sitting around the table. And they're thinking to themselves, how did this happen? There's no way we can disprove this miracle. There sits Lazarus. You see, had he been sick, they could have said he really wasn't sick. But Jesus let him die and be buried and stay in that grave for four days. Nobody could dispute this. And they're looking at Lazarus and they're thinking to themselves, the fact that Lazarus is sitting at this table eating this meal says to us, Jesus Christ has power over death. It's interesting, and you may not know, know this. I double-checked this this morning to make sure that it's true, and it is true. In the Gospel of John, we have zero recorded words from Lazarus. In fact, in the whole Bible, we have no words from Lazarus. Wouldn't it have been interesting when John wrote this Gospel and told this story if he would have let Laz, you know, Lazarus recounted his story? And Lazarus said, man, I got sick. We asked Jesus to come. He delayed. I got, my fever went up. I was feeling bad. I died. And the most amazing thing I happened. I had been in that, my body had been in that grave for four days. And all of a sudden, I woke up. I came back to life. I was all wrapped up tight. But I, I started, let, Jesus called me. And I, I, I came back to life. And, and we've been to that tomb in Lazarus. You've got to climb about 40 steps down to get to where Lazarus is buried. It would have been interesting if Lazarus said, I tell you, man, coming up at that tomb with those grave cloths on, that was kind of tough. I was having to take little bitty steps. It was hard for me to get up there. Then I got up, and they unwrapped me, and, and it's the most amazing. But we don't have any words from Lazarus. In the Bible, Lazarus never says a word. Why? Because if you've been raised from death to life, you don't have to say anything. Your life speaks for itself. Everywhere Lazarus went, everybody knew his story. He didn't have to say, I was dead and now I'm alive. When people looked at him, they knew. You know, we talk about our testimony. And certainly in our lives, we do need to share with others what God has done for us so that they can hear it articulated. But there is a sense in which our greatest testimony is not what we say. Our greatest testimony is who we are. Just the fact that you show. Some of you today, I was looking around in the choir during some of those opening songs, and I thought, you know, God has blessed this church with a lot of good people. And, I, and now I'm looking at the congregation, and I say the same thing. God blessed this church with a lot of good people. I know so many of your stories. I know what you've been through. I know how you were down. I know how you were out. I know how you could have given up. And yet you just kept on keeping on. And here you keep showing up to worship God. And you may never preach a sermon. You may never teach a class. But your life is your greatest testimony that God is real and that Jesus lives in your heart. We saw this illustrated yesterday. My dad and I held a funeral here yesterday afternoon for a lady who's been a member of our church for almost 60 years. Phyllis Stuckey Hendricks. Jimmy sang. Margaret played the piano. It was a beautiful service. Phyllis had been married to her first husband, Kenneth, for 52 years. They had a wonderful marriage. In fact, at their, at their 50th anniversary, I had the privilege of renewing their vows one Saturday here at the church in a, in a ceremony, and it was just great. Two years after that, Kenneth died. We held his service 
uh, back then. And I watched Phyllis go through that. And I thought, I wonder how Phyllis, you know, you've been married to somebody, the love of your life for 52 years, and now he's gone. Man, how's she going to do? And, you know, she just kept showing up for church. She just kept keeping on. She stayed involved in her class. She, every time I would see Phyllis, she didn't talk a lot, but she had the most beautiful smile just about, I think, I've ever, I've ever seen. Time went by. She was in church one Sunday, and she was sitting out there kind of on the end of a pew, and she heard the sermon, and service got over, and my dad said, let's all stand up, you know, reach out and join hands. We'll sing the last song. And she reached across the aisle to hold a man's hand. There was a man on that other aisle, and his name was Billy Hendricks. Billy's wife, Doris, had died a few years earlier, and so now he was a widower, and they didn't really know each other at that time, but during the song, they reached out, and they joined hands, and, and we sang the song, and they must have really liked the song and holding hands because he asked her out, and they went out to eat, and long story short, they ended up getting married. Says to me, you better be careful who you sit by in this church. You never know what might. <laughs> Before you sit down, you may want to kind of look across the aisle. You may need to adjust back or up. Be careful. You never know what might happen. January of 2010, I had the privilege of officiating their wedding ceremony in one of the coldest days in the history of Houston, Texas. They were married for over seven years. A year ago, Billy died. We had his funeral. Dad and I spoke at, at that funeral, trying again to comfort Phyllis. Now she's lost not one but two husbands. By this time, her health is declining. It's a sad situation. I thought to myself, how's Phyllis going to respond to this? How would, I, how would anybody respond to this? She just kept coming to church. She just kept that smile on her face. In the midst of all this, she had to be put in a nursing home here in Pasadena. And anytime I would see her, she always had that smile on her face. She never preached a sermon to me. She never gave me a long talk about God. But just her life was her greatest testimony. In fact, the last time I went to visit Phyllis, she, was gonna, she ended up moving to the Beaumont area to be near family. And I knew she was going to be leaving Colonial Oaks, and so I went to visit her one day, and I went to her room, and I knocked on the door. Nobody answered. I'm close enough to Phyllis. She's like family to me. I started to open the door just to go in. The door was locked. I thought, well, this is strange. So I went back to the front desk, and I asked the receptionist, and I'm here to visit Phyllis Hendricks. And I said, went to her room, and, and her door's locked. I just want to make sure everything's okay. I thought maybe her family had taken her to lunch or something. And the lady looked at her watch, and she said, oh, everything's fine. She said, Every day about this time, Phyllis likes to go down to the movie room and watch a movie. And uh, he, she said, if you want to see her, you'll, you'll go down there. And so I asked for directions to the movie room. And, then it's, and she said, well, you go down this hall and you turn right. And so I'm walking down the hall. I'm thinking I'm wearing glasses. My, my hair's going gray. I need to know my way around this place because I may end up up here one day. And I want to know where the movie room is. They said, you go down here. And they, so I saw the movie room. I stood in the back. There's Phyllis on the third row. And from the angle I was watching and looking at her, I could tell as she was watching the movie, she just had that same peaceful expression on her. She was content as she could be. She was watching, all the ladies will love this, Steel Magnolias. That's what she was watching on that day. And so I thought to myself, I don't want to interrupt the movie because there were others in there watching it. And I thought, but I came to tell her bye. And I don't know if I'll see her on this side of heaven. I knew she was moving. And so I thought, well, I'm... so I walked in the movie room and I went to the third row and I got out on my knees and tapped her on the shoulder. I said, hey, Phyllis. I said, I want to interrupt the movie. I said, I know you're going to be moving in a few days. I just want to tell you I love you. And she looked at me with that beautiful smile on her face. She said, oh, John, thanks for coming. I love you too. 
I said, now get back to the movie before I get in trouble in here, interrupting still magnolias. She finished watching her movie. I knew I'd never see her again until I got to heaven. Last Wednesday night, I was driving home from church. Phone rang. It was her daughter, Cheryl. She said, John, tonight at 741, my mom went to heaven. It was not even barely 8 o'clock at this time. Her mother had just died. Said she went to heaven, John, and she said, you know, it was the most peaceful experience. That same contentment and faith and peace that she's always had. She just still had it. She said, in fact, John, these last few weeks as we've talked about her funeral, she has spoken openly about that. She's not been nervous. She's not been anxious. She's told me how she wanted everything to go. And she said, John, you might find this interesting. She said she knew that she wanted Jimmy to sing. She knew he would sing well. She wanted Margaret to play the piano. She knew Margaret would play well. She knew your dad was going to speak. She knew he would speak well. She said, you know, John, one of the last things my mother said to me before she died, she said, you tell John... He better do a good job on his part in my service. <laughs> She's able to talk about her own funeral with that kind of peace and that kind of freedom. See, here's a lady. Did she ever have a situation? She had lots of situations. But in her situations, what did she do? She trusted God and she kept moving forward by faith. And as she did, what did God give her? Greater faith that led to greater peace and greater joy. He gave her greater blessings in her life. He did things for her she never saw coming. And he gave her a greater testimony so that she never really had to say anything. She could just show up and her life said it all. Amen. Father, I pray for those people out there today. And God, it happens to all of us who are in a situation that is painful and that is dragging on. God, I pray today that you will help them to know that you have allowed that situation into their life for the glory of God. If they'll respond properly. Help them to know, God, this situation is not the end of their life. In some ways, it's just the beginning. God, help them to know that when you allowed it, you allowed it because you love them that much and God if they'll respond properly there's coming greater faith than they've ever had greater peace and joy than they've ever known a deeper relationship with you than they've ever experienced God they're coming greater blessings God you're going to do some things in all of our lives in the future that will cause us to say wow I can't believe that God had this in store for me God you're going to give us a greater testimony but God, in the meantime, help us not to hold out for, for that day, for, to just sit around saying, well, whenever that prayer gets answered, no. God, help us to look to the future with excitement, anticipation. But God, help us to enjoy the present. Because what we're really hoping for is already ours in Jesus. He's our security. He's our companionship. He is our life. God, help us to be satisfied with him during the good times and the bad. With your head bowed and eyes closed today, would you make that prayer real between you and God? You know your situation. Make it real between you and God. Others here today, maybe God has allowed that situation in your life to bring you to faith in Jesus so that you would get saved. God would rather you have some pain here and get saved and spend eternity in heaven than to go through a life on earth with no problems and end up in hell. That pain's your friend. Hey, that problem is your ally. God has allowed that to get your attention. 
It's knocked you down. But from your position, the only thing you can do is look up. Look up to God today. Look up to Christ today. Say this, say, dear Jesus, I need you in my life. It has become apparent in this situation. Come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. I trust you to do it. Give me courage during the next song to come forward. It won't be easy, God. But many have done it recently. Give me the courage to come forward so I can confess you publicly before men. In Jesus' name I pray. And all the people said, amen and amen.